In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. What's up, y'all? Depending on when you hear this, you're either inundated in COVID-19, aka coronavirus pandemic news, preparation, and or cancellations. Or you're hopefully listening to this from the COVID-19 free future in which all of humanity has all safely recovered together with minimal loss. As I thought about what to say about these conversations on this episode and what they shared in common, I struggled a bit. They obviously share illustration and skating in common, as well as being BIPOC. Sam Barks is a full-time artist based out of Austin, Texas, a former roller derby player who retired in 2016, the Detroit native now skates and ramp skates. Momo Fett, who's up first, currently skates for Dark Side Roller Derby and the Casi Muertas skate crew of Costa Rica. After Melly get over, I realized that this episode is dedicated to language and vision. I can't think of a better time to converse with humans who relish in creating and speaking through visual language. The way I see it, our world could use some new ideas and images to take root right about now. And I can't wait for y'all to hear Momo and Sam speak for themselves on what and who their art speaks to. We had dope conversations that rolled through power, privilege, life, death, and representation. One last thing, I want to acknowledge and apologize for my own failure of language. At about minute six, in asking about Darkseid's open gender membership, I mistakenly said both genders rather than all genders. I'm very sorry about that. Momo graciously corrected me when I said it, and I'll do better. I promise. Thanks. <laughs> I learned skating when I was a little a little girl, you know, the typical Barbie inline skates, Christmas presents. I got those. <laughs> they were the ones that fit over your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> the you know, classic. Definitely. So I got those for Christmas when I was like eight, nine years old. I taught myself how to skate. Cause well, my mom just had my baby brother and she was always busy with him. <laughs> So I taught myself how to skate and then I stopped skating. The moment the skates stopped fitting, I just stopped skating completely. And then I was in the U.S. in Sacramento at this tattoo parlor and I saw this little piece of paper with a pretty cool Pulp Fiction-like picture, like drawing. And But it was a girl with, with skates and I was like, what is this? And it was a derby bout between, I think it was Sacramento Rollers and OC Roller Girls, I think. And I went down and saw it and I was like, I need to do this. I got to do this. But there was nothing like that in Costa Rica. I was just visiting the United States. There was nothing like that there. And like a year after I came back from the U.S. and I saw Derby there for the first time, I learned that 
girl was starting a group because she saw Whip It. <laughs> and then she thought, I need to do this too. And she started recruiting people to join the team. And that's how I got back on skates. I had to learn again because I knew inlines, but then quads was a whole different story. And I was way older. I was 21. So it was harder, but it was so good. And I fell in love with it right away. And I haven't stopped. Well, just a little moment when I had my child, I have a daughter and I haven't stopped skating. And so how long ago was that? That was in 2011. Yes, 2011. That's when Derby started in Costa Rica. Word. So someone saw it in... I feel like that it was meant to be. If you saw it in Sacramento and then you got back to Costa Rica and, and that's when you joined the Derby League, it, it was fate. <laughs> exactly. It was fate. <laughs> That's so dope. And then when did you start doing the ramps though? Oh, I've been on and off starting it like for two years now. So it's like I go to the skate park for a couple months and then I stop going because it starts raining. And then I never come back until like a year later. <laughs> now I'm really getting into it, like really putting myself to it and try to learn new stuff. So what, a couple months maybe? That's awesome. If you could like sort of paint a picture of how big the skate scene is and like how much it's followed in Costa Rica. Well, skating generally, there is a big scene because we have roller rinks that have been around for 50 plus years and there's a lot of people that go there, but it's mostly jam skating. Derby started, like I said, uh, 2011 here and it's been a bit difficult for it to actually grow because of, you know, economic hardships and then people have to work and they cannot prioritize training as much so they just stopped going at the moment there are four or five teams only and each has like what 20 between 15 and 20 active skaters in them but we're all super amateur even though it's been around for a long time we're really amateur there's no tournaments nothing we just train and train and train and then we scrimmage with each other and then we have little games but it's just for fun that's awesome i was looking at dark sides insta a few yes. minutes ago and it's it's both genders yeah yes it's all gender uh it started as or an all, all female genders, i should say yes Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no it started as a female league but then guys started coming over and non-binary people so it was like you know what let's open it for everyone everyone everyone's welcome to have fun the environment is accepting of and embracing of gender diversity it sounds like it is but i'm not sure honestly to be completely honest i don't know if it's accepting or if it's more like an ignorance is bliss situation because people are not that aware of gender and all that here so it's not normal for people to ask you for your pronouns for example people just assume your gender the moment they see you so right. we're starting to try to be more conscious about it for example changing our language while on practice instead of uh, addressing just girls we try to use more gen uh, neutral words so yeah we're, we're trying to do that that good work now <laughs> it's great and it's a practice it really is given how gendered spanish is that's probably not not necessarily harder but i feel like it's i don't know maybe maybe not maybe it's not hard to break the custom or any harder or any more difficult but i just you know it seems like spanish is so so binary in that way so binary that even stuff has gender like shoes have gender and <laughs> chairs yeah. have a gender so it, it it's not difficult but it's not easy either to mm -hmm. break away from that uh, especially when we have this this little thing that we have it's the RAI la Real Academia Española mm -hmm. uh, they define language they mm -hmm. define the Spanish language and they are just completely against inclusive language they say it's a uh, it's a crime against grammar so a lot of people take that 
as a reality. They're so protective of it, it, yeah. Yes, and they use it as a a weapon against Mm -hmm. uh, inclusive language and all that. I think I also saw in your bio and also or like on your site that you've also played internationally or because I know you were part of the the Costa Rica World Cup, right? The team, the World Cup team. Is that what that's referring to? Or have you had other experiences playing outside of Costa Rica? No, that's everything it's referring to. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, other teammates, they have played outside, like they went to Brazil and Mexico and they go and practice with teams there and scrimmage in the the U.S. too. But uh, for me, it's just the World Cup, which is huge. (laughs) It's really big. Where is it mostly like concentrated around in the cities or like where around in the country? Right in the middle of the country. Costa Rica is a really small country and the most population is concentrated in the middle in San Jose, Heredia, Alajuela, Cartago, which are like the cities. Cool. Quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's mostly San Jose. Like most people who do Derby live in San Jose, which is the capital city. And then a few of us live around it in other provinces, but really close by, like one hour away from each other. So it's all concentrated there. Uh, all teams practice in San Jose. All events are done there. So they're dr- they're close enough to be able to drive to yeah like from to yeah. and from each other. So you're like so the provinces like you're in Heredia, is that right? Yes. And how far is it from San Jose? Uh, by bus, uh, depending on traffic, it can be an hour, an hour and a half because oh, traffic is horrible. <laughs> but it's a really small country. It's just the traffic. But yeah, it's it's really close by. What's the population? We're almost 5 million. You're almost 5 million. The entire population of Costa Rica. The whole country. That's, <laughs> it's really small. <laughs> that's smaller than New York City. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like a small town in the US, right? <laughs> wow. Do you have family in, in the States? Is that what brought you to San Clemente, if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't have family there. I was just visiting, doing tourism. And stuff. Oh, that's dope. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice. What did you think? Well, I was mostly in California from south to, to the north, and I liked it a lot, especially all, like, there's always something to do. Have you been back? No, my visa expired, and I've been too lazy to, <laughs> to renew it. <laughs> that makes sense. I would be too. Because <laughs> it's a lot of, like, it's a it's a process, right? It's a really it's big a process. process and a half. You talked about Derby and Costa Rica being smaller and kind of, like, insular, and that you just you know mainly scrimmage each other and that sort of thing what would you say is one of like the strengths um of that of you know Costa Rican roller derby well uh we're a really small but close-knit community like teams collaborate with each other uh we have we're trying to have at least um, one one practice a month where all teams can come together and we can all share and have a good time and practice. So even though it's small, it's really close. So That's we awesome. really cooperate with each other. And uh, if one team has a scrimmage and scrimmage and they don't have officials, then we'll go and help them officiate and vice versa. It's it's nice. And your practice space looked like it was indoors, is it? Yeah, we just moved to a new place. Is it a rink? Is it like a skating rink or is it some other sort of space? Yeah, it's a skating rink. 
and they they let us use their the only night they don't have uh, any sessions that's how you say yeah yeah they let us use it oh that's cool and so all of the leagues practice or or just dark side just dark side for now because it's because of a cooperation we're doing with the national skating federation of course yeah so uh, they are helping us that sounds so official (laughs) it is very official (laughs) i love it (laughs) i want to patch yeah do they have patches? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we do uh, skating workshops and in exchange, they help us with uh, renting the practice space for a while and they helped us with some gear so we can have for people that came to the, the, to the workshops because a lot of people have skates, but not everybody has protection gear because what for, if you only go to the rink and dance, why would you have, a mouth guard. <laughs> yeah. So they gave us some stuff that we could uh, use for that. And yeah, in exchange, they help us with the training space. And we also have to do some world skate during those training hours. So we do both WFTDA and world skate rule sets in our practices. Oh, that's rad. Is that a common practice? Does Do the other leagues also practice under both rule sets? Various no, rule no. sets? Just no, y'all. the others are mainly just WFTDA. Okay. Your art is amazing, by the way. You are such Thank a talented you. artist, of course. Uh, what? How would you say that your derby and your art are related or like influence each other, if they do? Well, mostly my art is people on skates mm-hmm. because I believe that you can do anything on skates. Whatever you do without skates, you can do it on your skates. <laughs> so I try to depict as, much, as many people on skates as possible and I don't know I think Derby and well not Derby per se but the Derby community has opened my mind so much in the last years it's really influenced the way I see stuff and what I want to portray in my art because first I've always done art but before I just look for beautiful things and to make pretty faces and all that and I'm breaking away from that and I'm, I'm trying to be more political and a little bit harsher with my art I want to make a statement with it not just do something that looks pretty. Momo, were you the person who designed, it was like a Nazi getting punched or something? Yes, that's um, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> that that was, was awesome. That was amazing. Yes, it, it's actually a, a picture of uh, of my of Dita, Mrs. Muertos. It's a picture of her uh, doing a judo jump. I think that's the name of the trick. And then I thought like, you know what, that skate will look perfect on a Nazi's face. <laughs> and oh, yeah, it's... I just went with it. <laughs> yeah, no. So that's definitely a very clear example of what you're talking about being more political and more kind of, would you say confrontational or like just more, I guess, in your face with your art or? Yes, I know. definitely. Awesome. I want to be confrontational because I want to make people think. And, you know, I, I know it's a violent image with all the blood and the little tooth <laughs> flying. <laughs> But, you know, when you live in fear and seeing all the crap that's going around, not just in the U.S., but everywhere in the world with the far right and all this crazy bullshit, I'm sorry for the word. No, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's too, the word. You know? 
Yeah, you know, you'd be pissed off too. I mean, you 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 would want to punch somebody, and who deserves it more than a Nazi? So yeah. I want people to to react and think. You know, it's not just blood; it's whose blood is it, and what we're trying to fight against. Tell me about Casimartas. Oh, it's this really 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 cool cool thing. Uh, two of my friends started. Their names are Maria and Diana. Well, they've been been friends forever, and they skate a lot, and they're super really good jam skaters. And they thought, you know, let's do a little collective. Thing things with our friends and start organizing cool stuff like rollouts and uh, jam skating classes and, and skate park uh, classes and just hang out with people and other people who maybe not just roller skate but also skateboarders and whatever Every, everybody on wheels is welcome so yeah they started it and uh, we started officially last month with our first rollout we did it at night in San Jose it was really cool like 30 people came I think which is a lot <laughs> yeah so we're trying to do at least one rollout every month to to bring more people in and have them feel more welcome and create you know a safe space so we can all skate and share and protect each other that is amazing what was like the would you say the like the age breakdown of the group like the people who came to the rollout yeah oh well i saw some really young kids like 18 year old kids there and some of us were in our 30s and it was a really ample range now that i think about it that's what's up. I was like, I was also thinking now that you said kids, does your daughter skate? How old is your, or how yes. old is your daughter? She's six years old and yes, she skates. Oh, yes. Is she going to play <laughs> derby someday? <laughs> Hopefully she likes it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. What, I, I know you mentioned gear being a challenge. Are there any other sort of challenges that you can think of for skating? Well, mostly space wise because right now we have really nice weather but then late march it starts raining and it rains a lot and it doesn't stop until like october early november so we have like six seven months of straight rain and there aren't many spaces with ceilings or roofs so people could skate uh, there's a lot of football fields but you know people can play football under the rain <laughs> Yeah. And it's mostly, yeah, that space. There are a lot of roller rinks, but yes, you have to pay to get in there. Not a, not everybody can pay to get in there or com- make the commute because they're all in San Jose too. So yeah, gear is one of the issues, not because they don't sell it here. It's because it's so expensive to get it here. And the space mainly, there aren't many public spaces that are adequate to skate. I like to wrap up by asking people their self-care tip. My self-care tip, it's going to sound weird, but shower every day, shower daily. It's important. Yes, because I've been through depression and I remember that one of the hardest things for me, I think it was to shower because I was like, what for? And then I was like, well, what for, for me? I mean, I have to be clean. I have to feel good. So it's always nice to shower and like cleanse yourself and feel refreshed. So yeah, that would be my... (laughs) self-care tip I'm sorry I'm awkward (laughs) no you're good and that is that is such an important and crucial point I'm glad you brought that up because when you go through like depressive moods and I'm sorry if you hear my cat (laughs) going through them myself on occasion just that action of of showering is definitely crucial and can turn a page sometimes it's it's like you know those basics those like really like minimum sort of things that we so often take it for granted can really just can be the start of a new of a new moment. <laughs> yeah, you know? definitely. 
totally. can, can help clear the clouds. No, so I get that. Thank you. And <laughs> so my next question is, what would you like to hold space for? And so it could be like an issue. It can be like anything. It's like kind of like a free space. So if there's something that you want to unload off your mind, go for it. I want the Derby community to rethink and face its white privilege because being here, you notice the differences, the huge differences, and especially going to the World Cup, the whole team got in debt to go there. The whole team. Some of us are still paying that debt just to go for four weeks, four days to a World Cup. And you know, it was... And, and this was in 2018. Yes, it was in 2018. Manchester, like we had to cross the ocean. And it was appalling to see the differences. Like you would see our team, for example, we all had our old helmets. Like my, my helmet that I took to the World Cup, I've had it for like six years. Patched up pads. Um, my skates were completely wrapped in tape because they were falling apart. And you would see people with brand new helmets and brand new stuff and brand new skates. And it was like, oh my God, how different is it? Why is it so different from them, for them than for us? And it's all because of privilege. And I think the whole community has not been aware of that. And I think it's very important that they do. And, and, and we all take action to reverse that and make it an equal game because we always talk about equality and inclusion in Derby. And it's really nice talk, but we really need to work towards making it happen. So Thank that's what I would like to hold space for. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know that this is on all of us as a community and Derby yes. absolutely needs to check its its privilege, as you say, level up that unequal playing field or track. <laughs> and I would like to know if you have come up with any sort of possible solutions or ways that you would that could help you know either yourself or others around you that you've heard I think education and cooperation are key to make this happen educate people on privilege cooperate to turn it all around it's it's something we all have to do uh, it's not just for the privileged people to do all the work we also have to to put our part in it and um, yeah <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like each one help one, really. Exactly. Um, each Help each other and just be, be human. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And last but not least, I like to close up by naming an MVP. Who's your MVP? My MVP is Neon from uh, Bipakuske. Hell yeah. I love yeah. Neon. Tell me why. Yeah. Their work is amazing. Uh, everything uh, they're doing for the community, starting with just something like people would see as trivial as an Instagram account and see how large it has gotten and all the impact it has had in the community, starting conversations and maintaining them and finding solutions. It's, it's just amazing. I'm, I'm really thankful for everything that they're doing. So yeah, Neon is my MVP. <laughs> Neon is my MVP too. <laughs> Neon, you know, I, and I've told Neon this, that without Neon, Neon is definitely like an inspiration and a motivation for this podcast. So, you know, be, with their, the work that they've done through the Bipakuski, just the idea of creating community through visibility was definitely yes. motivational for me. So heck yeah, I, I'm on, the, I'm on board a hundred thousand percent. Dope. Okay. So thank you so much, Momo. This was awesome. Thank you so much for the space.
played sports and was coming back off of injury when I moved to Houston. I had knee surgery or ACL. And one of my friends in my, in my, I had a smart car. So I was in a car club and she took me to Houston roller derbies derby practice. And I was like, this is awesome. And she's like, you should join. And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> and I joined and I loved it because I've always been active. And I was like, I get to hit people, but I didn't know how to skate. I didn't know how to skate at all. <laughs> so, so the aggression, the aggression during Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to, what was I used the to sport play, that you played? I played basketball and I played football. Like what I was, played intramural. I played intramural football with guys with no pads. Like what was your position I, in in football and in and in and in basketball? In basketball, I was a shooting guard, and in football, I was a center. So I right. like to be right up in it. <laughs> you do. Yeah, not I like afraid to, be right to up in it. Not afraid you know, to get close. Um, which is why I hurt myself. <laughs> and so it was an ACL injury and a knee injury, mm-hmm. and you decided to rehab with roller derby or just stay active. No, I, roller I, derby? Yeah, just stay active. I rehabbed just a year on my own after the surgery, and then I was just like, I can't, I could, I just can't sit still. And I knew I wasn't gonna, be, wasn't like super great at basketball. I was good, but I was like, I'm, just, I'm not gonna be on anybody's WNBA team or anything. And I wasn't going to keep playing it recreationally. So I was like, I need to do something. Um, How old were you? That was, what, 2010. I am going to be 42 in a couple months. So 32, 33. Yeah. Word. And so what years were you actively skating as a roller derby player? I started rec league and like immediately after I moved to Houston. So 2011, I started rec league and I retired in 2016 when I moved to Austin. So backtrack a little bit. What brought you to Texas? Cause you're from Detroit, right? You're from the D. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Yeah. My career, my career brought me to Texas. I, I went to school in Pittsburgh to get my degrees in art and computer animation and media arts and animation. And I moved to Miami after Pittsburgh and stayed in Miami for about six years. And I was just looking for a new job because Miami was hella expensive. And that's when like everything was stupid expensive. So I was like, well, let me just throw some stuff out there and see what happens. And I applied to a random job in Houston and they they hired me and moved me out to, to Houston really quickly. What took you to Austin where you currently are? Same thing. Like my job in Houston had layoffs because I worked in the oil and gas industry. And when that stuff like, went splat. Of course, Mm -hmm. Houston was hit and our company was affected. So they laid me off and uh, my partner, Ed, lived in Austin and I lived in Houston. We were commuting back and forth between Austin and Houston. So when I got laid off, I was like, well, you know, there's no point in us having two different households and commuting back and forth and paying rent and it was just a hassle. So I decided just to move to Austin um, and make that a lot easier on both of us. Why did you decide to retire in Houston and didn't continue roller skating or roller, playing roller derby in Austin? I wanted to try my art full time. I figured being laid off is probably the best time to try a career change if you're going to try it. So I was like, either I do or die. Either I do it now or I'm never going to actually try to do my art. And I hadn't really been doing anything with my art outside of working in the 3D sector. And that wasn't any of my traditional illustration and the graphics and mural work and stuff that I'm doing now. I wasn't doing any of that. I was just doing technical 3D design. And I was like, if I don't try this now, then, you know, I probably won't ever try it. So I decided to retire from Derby because Derby took way more time than I wanted to dedicate to that. 
I was like, it's either do my art or do derby, but I couldn't do both. So retirement it was. What was your experience while you were a derby skater? Oh, that varies widely. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm sure. It varies widely. I don't know. Cause I'm, I started when we still had the old rule set of two whistle starts and people taking a knee and the derby world was still uh, had not shifted to the short shift that we have now of holding people accountable for things like racism and all that within leagues. People were doing stuff and weren't being checked about it. And leagues didn't have the back of, you know, skaters of color or queer skaters. Like none of that was really talked about uh, when issues would pop up. But I had fun. I had fun in my derby career because when I started, I had no idea that derby was even a thing or that people still roller skated. So I don't know. Houston, my Houston league, they, they taught me how to skate. I met some great people. Still have friends to this day because of roller derby and always will be a part of roller derby, even if I'm not skating. I'm never going back to roller derby as a skater, but I will always skate, street skate and park skating is what I do now. But yeah, it was it was it was a really good experience starting off. Starting off. <laughs> um, no, not saying it, it, ended it horribly. <laughs> I liked it, it at horribly. first. <laughs> got really burnt out really quickly and like going back to the conversation that you started uh on twitter yeah i got burned out real quick tell me about that yeah so okay for people who don't follow me on twitter you know i guess the beginning of a season and that always has people posting retirements you notices farewells Mm -hmm. and i realized that there are at least two different types of retirement posts there's a resignation letter (laughs) let's be real and there's a goodbye post and Mm -hmm. one is definitely a lot more like angsty than the other and so that got me thinking because I feel like I don't know I think that a lot of people are maybe opting for ramp skating and outdoor skating because it's has a lot less overhead a lot less structure and I don't say that people I mean people genuinely like they have responsibility lives and it's time for people to move on but I I also feel like there's a growing section of people who were ex-derby skaters who have just kind of left out of their own who have who are voting with their feet right oh yeah so I posited that question to the to the Derby verse, the Derby Twitter, like if this is supposed to be our source of recreation and relaxation and joy and fun, why are so many people burning out? You know, like how can we solve this? Cause like you never want to leave people be so like upset yeah. and like stressed and and what have you from something that they're supposed to they're coming at you know, expecting fun out of. <laughs> so yeah. So that's that's a little bit of the context to what um, you were about to say. Yeah, it's varying reasons that people uh, burn out quick. For me, it was like our league had, you know, over 180 members, volunteers and everything. And it was a solid core of maybe 30 to 40 people doing the brunt of the work for the whole league. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't fair. You know, it's supposed to be for us, by us, everybody pitch in. But of course, in every league, that doesn't that doesn't pan out all the time. You have people that just show up and skate and don't do any committee work. They don't do any parades. They do any. They don't do promotion. They don't break down after games. They don't help set up. So you know that started to wear on me, and other people in our league. Um, and like I said, it, it, that goes across the leagues all over the country, overseas. It's just the same problem of a few people doing a lot for the league and some other members of of a league is literally skating by and not pitching in 
It's tough. It's not like we're coming at Derby like, you know, like it's the only thing in our lives. Like we're people in our like mid thirties often. We got lives, we got mortgages, we got car payments and jobs and, you know, other responsibilities to take on another task must be like, for what? <laughs> like, and I think that that's probably happening too. People are like, yeah, they're letting Derby go by the wayside because of... There's some more important things that they want to do with their time. Yeah. Um, for me, when I moved to Houston, I didn't know anybody. I moved to Houston, didn't know anyone here. I didn't have any friends here. So it was like, I have disposable income and I have time. <laughs> so it was like, oh, Derby was easy and an easy choice then because all I had to do was, you know, go to work, go to practice. I had time and money. Responsibility which, um, shift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So over time, yeah, you get more bills, you get more responsibilities, you get more interests. And me wanting to pick up my art business was definitely a catalyst in me reevaluating. Hey, do I want to keep staying in Derby? Oh, it's becoming a chore for me to go to practice now. Do I really want to be that person in practice bitching about everything? I don't want to be that person in practice because everybody got them people in their league that are just unhappy. And instead of leaving, they stay and make everybody else unhappy. And I didn't want to be that person in my league grumbling in practice during drills. And I was like, when I caught myself doing it, I was like, it's time to go. Mm. I don't want to sit up here unhappy, wasting my time, wasting their time and not delivering for my team. And the funny thing is I retired and stepped back, but I started training our rec league. And then I started training my home team that I skated for. (laughs) So I was kind of retired and not retired because I was still skating with rec league and and training my home team and coaching my home team. How did that pan out for you? How did that work? That was cool. Our team finally won a championship in our league and we went on to win, I think, two more after that because our team was the fourth team and the newest team in our league. So we were like the bad news bears for our our first two seasons. And uh, it was cool to, you know, be a still be a part of the team when we won our first championship. I feel like I feel like you like our folks who've retired for some time now, who've, who've been retired for some seasons now, but have been able to maintain their involvement within the parts of Derby that they've gotten the most enjoyment out of. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, yeah. How, oh, yeah. how do you, what kind of advice would you have for people who want to make that shift? Because I know that some people have affection for a certain part of Derby and want to mm-hmm. continue to be, you know, active, but don't want to give their whole lives either. So what would you suggest? Like some people would try their hand at announcing. Some people try their hand at uh, being NSOs or just volunteering. For me, stepping back, even though I was still coaching, doing rec league was actually really cool for me because it was like, you're catching people as they're just starting to love the sport. So for me, training roller derby, like L1s, L2s, L3s, and seeing people go through the ranks and then go on to try out for home teams, that was cool as hell because you get people before they get jaded. (laughs) (laughs) You get people before they get disgruntled and worn down. And and, and I'm not saying that's the, the case for everybody, but you catch people right when they're falling in love with it. And that's probably the best time to start interacting with those skaters to let them know, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You don't always burn out. And just to see people learn. And to learn with them because I was still learning new stuff and the rule sets were changing. Like, I don't even know what the rule sets changes are now. I haven't even looked at them since I I retired. But yeah, training rec league after I left active play was pretty cool. Just picking and choosing what you want from Derby. It's like somebody said on your Twitter feed, it's voluntary. You don't have to do this. 
you don't have to give your money. You don't have to give your time. You don't have to give of your body because that is a, uh, another thing. Wear and tear on your body. You don't have to do whatever you want to do. It's a voluntary sport. You can pick and choose what you want out of it. You don't have to be elbow deep in it all the time. Hmm. As far as your art, can you talk more about that career shift that you made happen? Like, what is your, not to be like all in your business, but what, I'm trying to get all in your business. <laughs> your <art> business. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to like, you're a full-time artist now? I mean, I was before. I was just working as a 3D technical artist. Uh, that's what I went to school for. I still do that sometimes, but not as much. So getting laid off from a regular nine to five, I took on creating what is now mixed use, which is just me basically branding my art and being a freelance and contract artist. So I will work with other companies to do art outside of people just freelance asking me for commission work and doing shows locally and nationally. I'm an illustrator and now I'm stepping into public art through city programs to do mural work, which is something I've always wanted to do. I would love to just step into publication art, but pretty much whatever projects that I find that I want to get into is kind of what I do not like day to day. And I also work part-time at a laser cutting studio uh, here in Austin. So I kind of split my time between that and doing illustration work for Frogmouth. Is that where all that dope woodworking stuff comes from? Your, mm-hmm. your, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I work at a laser studio. So like we get to work with acrylic and wood and leather and different fabrics and all kinds of different materials. So definitely, yeah. So I, I split my it. time between that and Other than that, I work from home. That's the only commitment that I have outside of the house is the laser studio. Other than that, everything is here in my home studio. If you could tell us some of the personal like stuff that you are working on or want to work on when you have a minute, when you catch your breath. One of my, this is a silly personal project. I want to do um, a project called Thelma a Day. So it's like I bought, if anybody knows me, they know I love good times like nobody's business. So... (laughs) Because Thelma's outfits were the shit. Every outfit for, for the Evans family that had been so damn poor, Thelma was always on point. Her hair was always nice. Her outfits were always nice. So one of my personal projects, I want to do Thelma a day. I want to catalog every outfit she wore in every episode in that whole series of good times. And I want to draw them out fashion illustration style. And I don't know what I'll do with it. Maybe I'll make a, a book of it or something. I don't know. I just want to, I just want to draw them. That's dope. You should put them on t-shirts. I bet. I like nah, no? I just want to draw. Nah, oh. I want to draw them and maybe I'll actually sew some of the outfits. I don't know, but her outfits are bomb. Yeah, it's just one of my fun projects. Well, can you, how do you describe your art style? I, I don't know. I've had it described as like graffiti mixed with realism. Actually, the best thing I can say, like the artwork from Good Times was done by Ernie Barnes. And he was, he's definitely a heavily, heavy influence on like how I draw forced perspective and elongated bodies and forms. But I don't know, I guess it would be like a, a, a graffiti style was kind of like a, a, a realism to it. I'm not a graffiti artist by any, any realm or any stretch, but that's how I've heard it described. I don't know what my style is. <laughs> you, but you also have like comic and horror mixed in there too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just the stuff that I like. Like I love horror movies. So I'll always, that'll always be a part of it. And like, when I don't know what niche I fit into or what category I fit into because I only draw, I paint and draw what I like. So it'll be like a mixture of skating, horror, and comic art. And people are like, what is this? I don't know. <laughs> I just draw what I like. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of her name. Um, 
Oh my goodness. The, the, like the, she's like an African-American artist and she made, um, she made like this sculpture out of sugar of a, of a, like a, of a, of a sleeve, but like, Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. She had a big, uh, exhibit a couple yeah. years ago in New York and in Williamsburg. And I was, and I feel like I, some of Kara, your Kara Walker, Kara Walker, I feel like your mm-hmm. some of your, I feel like when some of your skater, your, you know, the women skaters that you've made mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of, of a bit of her work too. But yeah, I don't um, know. I don't know if I have a, a set style. Like I can't say I'm a contemporary or, or I don't know. Like, I don't think I fall into normal art categories, which is makes that hard for me to, I guess, average, like market myself. And it shifts, right? Doesn't your perspective and your, your influence and your style shift over time? Have you mm, For me, no, it kind of, it, it kind of stays around the same thing as far as how I draw everything. The look has grown and gotten uh, refined, but how I draw my artwork is pretty much stayed, stays the same. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to shift. Well, art- is it like, and by that you mean, do you have like a specific procedure or like process that you, you mm-hmm. make? No, I mean, just like how my work ends up looking, like how my bodies look, how my faces look, if they're angular, if they're elongated, the, the first perspective I use, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I am now. But mm. it, that might change as I get older. I don't know. And how long does it take you to complete a, an illustration? Oh my God, I'm so slow. (laughs) I'm slow. It depends. Like if it's something, if it's something that someone brings me a commission and they're just like, I'll do whatever. That takes me the longest because I'm like, I need some kind of direction from you. What Mm. do you want? What do you need? Like I have a whiteboard full of ideas, but it's not like I just sit down and they just come pouring out. (laughs) And I get into this cycle of worrying about, I haven't done anything new. And then I'm just like, you know what? You don't have to do anything new. Nobody you don't have to worry or stress about, oh, I haven't put out any new work. I'm not a machine. I know some artists that can just sit, they draw every day. It's beautiful work and they just output a lot of work. That's not me. No. I draw when it when it hits me and sometimes I put out a lot of work. Sometimes I just sit for like a month or two and I can't, nothing's there. Nothing's coming out. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's just how it's going to be. I'll work on client work until you know something sparks where do your ideas come from is it from like television or like watching anything or like is it randomly it's sometimes it's reflecting on what's going on Hmm. in society of course artists are the reflection of what goes in the world if you're not if a part of that doesn't bleed into your artwork I'm not sure how you filter that out I I can't so if something's weighing heavy on me then I'll, I'll, I'll draw it out paint it out sketch it out but yeah, it's usually like how I'm feeling, what state I'm in at the at, at a certain time. Sometimes I get an idea, um, like the zine project I started last year. I'm going to continue this year. I made my first zine for Staple Independent Expo that we have here in Austin every year. Uh, it was the art of death. It was speaking on death and how different cultures personify death and how we deal with death, how we celebrate and mourn death in different cultures. So I'm going to continue that. And in the zine, I basically drew out my, I drew out my, <laughs> my representations of, of different cultures, personifications of death and, and how we all face it. Um, basically uh, posing the question to the viewer, like if we all didn't have the, the specific religions we have, like if we didn't all have this idea of a hereafter and uh, doing things to get to heaven or hell, would we still view death in the same way. Like if we didn't have to worry about salvation, would people view death differently? Would we 
approach it and accept it a lot easier than we do now. Because, uh, you know, to me, I think we just fear death so much that we create religion and these hierarchies to live forever. What if we just didn't? And we were okay with the fact that we didn't live forever. So that's what my zine is going to kind of focus on in the next issues. It's a heavy subject, but I'm approaching it with art. It's called The Art of Death. Do you have a concept of death, a personal? I think we just, I think we just end. I think our energy just goes wherever it came from in the first place. But I don't believe there's an ultimate creator in the sky waiting for us. I don't. Mm. I just don't. And I don't think that that should govern how we treat people on this earth. You treat people good just because you treat people good. Not because you're going to be in some paradise after you die and you get to live on forever. Earning points. For right. Yeah. Or something. Not no. because you get to not because you get to live forever just because you did these things that this book told you to do. Just be a good person. I know you went to Cuba recently. I How was did. that? And what did you what was the purpose of your trip to Cuba? Don't worry, Actually, the CIA is not is not listening. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> According to them, I went to help the Cuban people. No, I did. <laughs> um, people to people, people friend. to people. <laughs> Actually, that one's gone. That one, that that certification. Okay, is gone. it? No, it's not. Is, is it? Or is it cultural exchange or something? Or you can't do people to people anymore. They removed that one last year, but most Americans go under uh, support for the Cuban people. Mm. So you you either go for work or you're with a missionary group or support the human people. There's like 12 different certifications, but one of my best friends from Pittsburgh, she travels a lot and she has a travel agency that she, you know, arranges trips for people to go to different places. She travels a lot. I do not. Um, But she asked me if I wanted to go there for Thanksgiving. So I was like, "Uh, can we go there? And then she she broke it down. Yes, we can. They just don't want you to go there and do things that support the Cuban government. They want you to go there to support the people. Like, it's stupid that our governments, of course, the people always suffer when the governments don't get along. And the people there suffer because their government and our government is not getting along. I figured if I was going, I'm not just going to go just to have fun. So I looked up Cuban Missile when that, uh, remember she did the uh, skate all the way to the Keys, to Key West and raise money. So I asked her what group was she raising money for? And she told me about the group that she was raising money for. And I was like, oh, can you get me in contact with them? Because I would like to bring some stuff with me to donate, get there. So she gave me the information to her connection there so I could gather equipment. And it was really last minute. And I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to like donate. A lot of people did. They like came through. Everybody was like, I have wheels. I have skate boots. I have, I took skates, wheels, inlines and quads helmets gear i took like 50 pounds of skate gear there with me so and they what they do there for skate cuba is they distribute it around the island to kids that want to learn how to skate and that's cool as hell so yeah got there it was pretty easy just landed and got picked up in a classic car of course because they still have cars from the 50s and 60s just they look brand new that just through just like blew my mind how they kept those cars running for so damn long people on the island are like inventive as hell they do what what they have they they just make stuff i was thinking of the word the they improvise they're just like so ingenious like you know the ingenuity the cuban ingenuity is yes it's off the chain like the craft of some of the stuff that's made there is ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. the ironwork on some of the doors, like the secrecy stuff 
that's handmade that people have just passed down and this traditions is ridiculous. I had another question sort of like about entrepreneurship and I feel like there's a lot of people who would love to, you know, maybe venture out on their own or start their own sort of like business. Do you have any sort of advice for them? Plan, because I didn't plan my business. I just kind of jumped into it and started making stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> write out goals, write out some kind of business structure, some kind of business plan. So you have an idea of what you want it to look like and what it's actually going to take to get to where you want it to be. Support is important. You can't do it by yourself. It's really hard if you try to have a support system of friends and mentors, people that are above you and at the same level where you are. So you can ask questions. It's really important. Like when you, like I came up against something I had never been asked to do before. And I was like, I don't know what to charge for this. I don't know what standard, you know, what industry standard looks like for this. I have a couple of people I can always call or email and like, hey, what would you do in this situation? What have you done in this situation? So having mentors and peers in whatever industry you want to go into helps. And I also, I wanted to backtrack. I remember at one point when we talked, and I, I don't know if it got captured in our initial conversation, you mentioned how your skater series of like women of color skaters came from your desire to see yourself represented and see more women of color represented in skating. Could you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, it started for me just making stuff for me. Like I was just making art that or t-shirts or whatever that I just wanted for me. And because that was not there was nothing like being put into skate merch for any tournaments, for any leagues, any games, any any of the conventions that I would go to for roller derby. There was nothing for people of color. There was nothing. And I was like, well, we skate too. You know, you never saw us represented in any team logos. You never saw us represented in advertisement for major WIFTA events that's changed uh, over the years where you started to see skaters of color be represented on the big stage in advertisement for those tournaments. Like people fly all over the country, all over the world, in every city, state, and town across this country. People pay their dues, they go to practice, they go to these games, they put their work and their effort into these individual leagues, and you never saw any representation of those people. We might be small in numbers in each of these leagues and each of these little towns and cities across the country, but we're there. So I'm like, why every year I go to RollerCon, there's nothing that represents us in any of those stalls. And I'm like, well, I I started like showing work to like the Black Roller Derby Network had started around that time that I had just started skating. And I just started putting my artwork in the group and they were like, where'd you get that from? Like I made it. They were like, why don't you sell this? And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. So they were kind of like the Black Roller Derby Network was kind of like that support and that push I needed to say, hey, this, we want to see this, more of this, to do more of this. Uh, And one of my mentors had come to Houston and uh, he just came down, him and his wife, and he was like, what do you want to do with your art? And I was like, well, I want to do this, this, and this. And he was like, well, you have a niche group right there roller derby he was like start there he was like this is what you're gonna do (laughs) 
He laid out this quick little plan. He was like, do this, do this, do this. Dan, he's in Atlanta. <laughs> Dan the man, everybody knows Dan in Atlanta. He was like, you're going to do this, this, and this. And that's how you're going to start. He was like, start and roll a derby. Do what you know, do what you love, and then branch out from there. And I was like, okay. He left and I was just like, let me look up RollerCon and see how much a booth is. And it was like, I got the smallest little table in 2015. And it was March or May. And I was like, I'm just going to buy this thing and I'm going to do roller con. Had no work, had nothing. And that's how I started my business. <laughs> had to make work for it. Oh, they love I love I had to. I had to get my EIN number. I had to get all the tax stuff together. I had to actually create a name. I had to create a brand. And I had to create work to sell at RollerCon in three months. And that's how I started Mixed Use. That's dope. That's sometimes <laughs> how it, that's what it takes, right? Like having those yeah. hard deadlines, like those self-imposed yeah. like hard deadlines. That's awesome. I didn't even know it that was, story. And that's where I found way you. To start. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but it's look at you. Cool. 2020, you know, yeah. five years later, here you are. That's dope. Yeah. And can I tell you that that's... That's like when I came upon my first roll, roller con, I like made a beeline to your stall because I was I like, ah, heart eyes. I saw mm-hmm. that you were actually making art that looked like people like me in my color. And that was like, that spoke to me so hardcore. Like, now there's more skaters of color now that are doing their art. And I'm, I'm glad to see more people give me some representing who should people. Who should people be oh, up? Sarah Chaws. I met her at Roll Call. That's what's up. She has an Etsy shop. Who else? Uh, Violet Emotions. I met her when I went to the Moxie Art Show in February last year. She is, her artwork is very good. I'm trying to think of who else. I started following. I found a lot of these artists through Kiana, Kiana Yuana. She always big ups other skaters of color and other artists of color that are just out here putting art out that nobody really pays attention to. And I find a lot of artists through her. How has your impression been in terms of like the way you've seen the skate world transform it's online and how long have you been ram skating for now off and on since i think 2016 17 so the past three years three four years basically since i'm pretty much been in austin off and on yeah what's that been like for you oh, it's been fun like it's been scary because i don't <laughs> I was scared of heights and trying to like basically relearn everything. It's like being brand new to roller derby. You didn't know what the hell you were doing and it terrified you and it was exciting all at once. So basically that's where I am. Like it's super brand new. It's a whole different set of uh, muscles that you have to use. It's like, it's a complete different monster than roller derby. Do the skills translate? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If I hadn't done roller derby, I would, I, I would have had a, a harder time getting into uh ramp and bowl, aggressive street skating. Uh, definitely roller derby has, is, has definitely helped, uh, just gave me that skating foundation, but it's just me getting over fears of heights and speed and concrete all thrown together. That's, that's, mm. <laughs> it's just my own internal, like screaming inside my head. Like, why am I on this six foot wall about to like roll into this bowl of death? I don't know. It's fun. Let's but... do it. Let's see. Let's see <laughs> Let's what see. happens. Let's see if I don't die. I, I haven't died. I've, I've scraped a whole bunch of skin off myself. But, uh, It'll grow not, back. Not, yeah, knock on wood. I'm okay with skin scrapes. It's bone breaks I don't want to do. But uh, something new and exciting, like that kind of excitement I had when I started roller derby. Dope. Give me your ancient derby proverb. What's something that you want to impart to the youth, <laughs> to the seeds coming up? 
oh or anything mm-hmm. like skating related it doesn't even have to be therapy related but skating related just any sort of advice uh, i'm for life and for skating do what makes you comfortable and do what makes you happy don't do something just because you think it's the it thing to do or you see something that somebody else is doing like i love skaters that are that can get air that are acrobatic skaters I have no background in gymnastics. My big ass is not going to be flipping off nobody's bowl or nobody's ramp or wall. I might not ever get air or be aerial, but I'm not going to be down about it. I can do other stuff that other skaters can do. But do what's comfortable to you. Do what makes you happy. Don't do it just because you feel like, oh, the chicks and bowls uh, trick of the month is this. I have to do this. If you can't do it, you can't do it. Try something different. Try something until you get close to that. Try something until you get it. But if that's nothing that you're not comfortable, something that you're not comfortable with, don't force yourself to do it because that's when you'll get hurt. Not saying not to try things and not to try to get out of your comfort zone, but I can't backflip into the bowl. I'd be stupid to try that because right now I can't do that. (laughs) I'm not even interested in trying to backflip into the bowl or something like that. I'm just trying to learn how to carve and drop in and handle myself in the bowl. Maybe later I will be if I get the nerve up to try it, but try things at different stages in your comfort zone in life and in skating. I mean, people don't, don't force it if you don't feel comfortable doing it. Okay. What should we be holding space for? Hold space for yourself and for people that care about you and that you care about. Don't hold space for people that don't show the same amount of care that you give out. Yeah. Give me a self-care tip. Mm, learn to love naps. Nice. <laughs> learn to, to love a, a good <laughs> nap. And I have a hard time doing this myself. Learn to be still. Some you don't, always have to be up doing something. And I find myself making something to do when I could just relax. Not all the time, but yeah, learn to be still. Your MVP. Ed, Ed's my MVP. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Dope. Mad support. Mad support system. Yeah. Dope. Ed is your partner. Yeah. The other half of mixed hues. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sam. Really appreciate it. All right, folks, well, there you have it. Holding Space with Magical Wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at Holding Space with Magic Pod. Intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye.